0: welcome to this episode of the Builder Podcast. Thanks for joining us as we talk about making new products and companies with our talented friends and special guests. I'm Luke Rabin. And I'm Brandon Lewis, and we're the co-founders of Builder,
1: and we're glad you're here.
0: Okay, so we're here with Andy Citizen. Andy, good to see you, man. Good to see you. So Andy uh, is uh, part of Share More Stories, um, a part of many more things a man about town um but we're glad you're here man
1: uh i'm looking forward to the conversation
0: so yeah the the theme that kind of we we had touched on before is is just jumping off a rocket ship um so tell me a little bit about um you know your early career what it what it looked like to go from to to jump on a rocket ship and if you feel like sharing what was that rocket ship
1: yeah it's uh you know i've I've a few years on you guys, so my story can get can get long so let me give you the better parts of it because a lot of it was a lot of monotony sitting in parking lots and carrying baggage <laughs> in, in the airport but uh you know I, I spent the first fifteen years going into companies and helping them change and uh you know it was it was interesting because it was caterpillar tractors and big gas turbines things that took you know multiple stories to organize and work on and I really enjoyed that time I learned how Change happened at, at companies, and I learned how to kind of solve business problems. And I went over at, at doing that. I was doing that all for regional player. And I, you know, at 21, I was in a company that was going to be my first, you know, go big kind of company. We grew from about 20 people to 400 people, and then 9/11 happened, and the dot com crash happened, and that first you know, tens of millions went away. And I, you know, I, I started over, or, or just kept going. I guess is the right way to put it um and i wanted to go to a big tech company i wanted, i felt like i you know had to earn my stripes working for a big company that you know had the edge and so i went over to a company called emc which many uh, tech people will know that company Great company uh huge culture, really strong creative players uh, talented and you know I had to learn how to survive in that space and I was very different because I was a business solutions person i wasn't a a storage person i wasn't the techiest of techie, I was more a programmer and you know analyst if you were and so i I kind of found my way in there the first couple of years and I ended up running applications for them and relationships with uh, people like you know um you know Accenture and Deloitte and how applications affected the customers of these multiple companies. So we would work with people like Cisco and uh, VMware and you know Deloitte on projects together for companies around certain types of applications. Um, anyway, I you know did that for a while and and I jumped forward and found myself uh, you know kind of in a place where I'd been doing it for years. There was a ton of people making decent money and good jobs, but. I felt like I was just one of thousands at that company. And I said, you know what? I'm going to get myself fired this year. I, I decided <laughs> I, was, I had to do something. And I said, I'm going to get myself fired. And uh, so I, I literally set out, what does it take to get fired? And it meant to be more bold. It meant to be, hey, I, I'm just going to be who I want to be. Because if it, it's either going to put me who I want to be and out of this company, or it's going to change my perspective. And I ended up getting a double bump by doing that. I found myself in a, in a junior executive role at the company. Because I challenged it a little bit, and you know sometimes it's timing and luck and everything else, but I, I like to bless the idea of getting fired was what got me there so
0: <laughs> what would you have done if you had gotten fired
1: I would well you know we've all been fired or laid off or you know we've all agreed it's time to go in our lives and and I would have just done that you know it's, it's I, I realized that I wasn't taking enough risk and I was going to be more vulnerable and and I didn't know exactly what that meant, but I was totally good with it and so that was about 2013, and I've been living vulnerably since. And we'll get a little more of <laughs> that.
0: <laughs> so, how did how did things change over time? Um, because it it sounded like things were going up, 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 and up. Um, but what what was that journey like?
1: It was uh I, you know I wrote a story for one of our events that I talked about the absurdity of incremental elephants and and what I mean by that is the this idea that um you know going to an airport once and getting you know the processed foods and then getting on a plane and flying somewhere that's that's okay but when you do it 10,000 times over time little incremental things change you so you know it was is you know health issues it was like you know okay this is my fifth time to Vegas this year for a conference, and it's 3 a.m., and I'm, I, you know, how many more years can I do this kind of stuff? Mm-hmm. And uh, so it was that incrementalism that was killing me in a lot of ways, and, and my energy was bad. It, and when you work for a really big, world-class company, you have to be the best at what you do, or yeah. you'll get wrought out by others that are better than you. And so I really felt my energies were starting to... Kind of fall back in the, in, the, in the course of what I was doing. Um, and that's why I put myself into that more vulnerable position.
0: Gotcha. Um, so tell me a little bit more about how, as the company um, kept growing, um, what, what was kind of weighing on you that, that kept
1: you stagnant with them? Yeah, I, I, I like to tell people that when you're at a big company, you're a brilliant singer in a choir and it's a choir made up of brilliant singers and any one of those people are brilliant you know mm-hmm. they could be an individual singer they could solo but the whole point of a big company is to get a lot of great people kind of compressed into doing exactly what they need you to do and so where i found you know i, I was i felt a little stagnant and the company was also seeing a lot more competition from all over the market so it was kind of fun being creative in that competitive environment i, I mean we learned to compete like nobody's business like i, I, I you know you just learn edges about how to be a compete a competitor um, but it gets, it wears you out. And I was doing a lot of flying. I was, you know, I could be in San Francisco one week and, uh, you know, Atlanta the next week and Singapore the next week and, and just all over the place. And that sounds great, but you just, it starts to wear you out. Your kids are growing up, you mm-hmm. know, you're, uh, you're crossing the 40 line and you're starting to say, Hey, I got to watch my health a little better. And so those were things that were bothering me. But when I made the jump to, to be more vulnerable and I got the big bump in, in position, I ended up running, uh, the SAP, uh, solutions business for them, um, across um, essentially the globe. And and so we would do the engineering work, not only with our company, but with three or four other companies. And then we would roll that out to uh, sales reps in our company and and, and then our partner companies. And, you know, we had, say, 8,000 plus sales reps just by ourselves. So when you did something that mattered, you know, you had to, uh, you had to Refine it. You had to do a good job. You had to have the right talent at the table, and I, I love that feeling of you know doing something and having ten thousand people use that something. Yeah. It, it, there's mm-hmm. something that improves in your your execution when you do that. Um, but and and, I, and it took me to the point where I was sitting in the president's office and he was talking about what's next and and you know that that was a great meeting, but. The end of that meeting, or part of that meeting, you know, we talked about, hey, it's time to move to San Francisco, and you know, that that wasn't right for me. I've, you know, I'm, I'm really challenged by this idea that we all live in one spot, uh, that all technology has to come from one spot, of, you know, in the country.
0: Yeah. Um, so were there were there any particular memorable moments other than sitting in the office with the with the president um, that led up to, okay, I'm not. I'm not going to suffer this anymore. Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make that jump.
1: Yeah, I mean, sitting in the office with the president was an entirely great meeting. Um, that's because we changed the meeting and made it about myself. And you know, it's always fun to talk about yourself and where you might be going. And um, what, what really took me off was not only that directional change and this idea that we all had to come live in one spot, but. The company pushed uh, for us to slow down. My group had been kind of... I joked when they gave me the big gig that I, I was going to bring the Vikings. Uh, we were going to have muddy feet and swords we were going to throw on the coffee table. Mm-hmm. We were coming in, and we weren't going to change that much. You know, We were... We were taught in the field, and you know, very good at execution, and, and, and loved what we did. Um, and the problem was that we were too fast. We were too—we we didn't follow the rules that you were supposed to slow down and make sure your colors were right, and that you—you—you know—you followed the policy of everyone else. And it really wasn't—we were breaking rules. We were moving faster than others could complete their parts to be aligned with us. And there is some foul in that. I mean, I, I looking back on that, I realized you know part of that was a bit of a foul but it was a lot of bit of like, you're going to make us all look bad if you don't slow down. And so that kind of politics just didn't work with me. And then the energy started, that's part of what was bothering me.
0: So how, how did you, how did you break it to your fellow Vikings <laughs> <laughs> that, that you were going to make a jump and, and try to, like you were saying, live more vulnerably, more authentically?
1: Well, with all good Vikings, they're they're ready to cut my throat any day, right? You know, so it was <laughs> like, um, all, all seriousness, it, it, it was a very competitive environment, as I mentioned. And EMC's EMC's trying to find the right partner. You know, uh, we were—I won't get into the numbers, but we were. You know, blowing out double-digit growth on our numbers each year, but it wasn't relevant at a scheme of EMC level, and Dell bought EMC, and uh, that buy, you could tell that the special things that we were doing were going to be kind of too vertical for that company. They were going to horizontal some of that work, and so... That whole piece of what we were doing was was going to be downplayed, and so let's say seventy percent of the team might still be there, but they've been dispersed, and their their job functions a little different. And you know, it just made sense to get out of there. And so, uh, yeah, and at the same time, at a place like that, if you're if you're if you're uh, willing to step aside, there's plenty of people who are like, thank you, it's been awesome. I'll take that seat. <laughs>
0: Um, what was this like for your family um because I know that um you know both leave, leaving a uh jumping off the rocket ship but also not living on planes anymore how how did that How did that affect you and your family
1: yeah it's uh it's interesting because it got to where uh if I was home for like four or five days. Um, my kids would look at me or this is earlier, but uh, they 'd look at me and go aren 't you supposed to be going somewhere like they, it was like they, I was expected to be gone, and it was weird to everyone to be around for too much time and, and you know it was good money what we were doing, so the family had readjusted like i didn 't do certain things I had missed recycles for four years straight you mm-hmm. know and we, it was one of our metrics we figured out and um, at the same time you know there 's things like my wife didn 't work for. You know, twenty years because it just didn't work. I mean, I was gone too much. So, um, you know, we we started readjusting those things. And, and at first, people were kind of stressed about this idea that, hey, you're, you know, what this is going to be different. You don't know what you're going to do. And I was, I was hell bent on not doing what I had just done ever again. Like I, part of the problem was I looked at my resume and I had a really great resume to continue to do what I'd been doing for a while. And um, and if I moved. You know, I could, you know, it was a great job in my future, uh, many great jobs, but, and I didn't want to go to New York. I didn't want to go to Silicon Valley. I didn't want to go to, you know, a- Arizona or any other, you know, hub that was happening. So um, it was time to, for some reinvention. And, and I think the reinvention among other things was, you know, not, not necessarily as w- welcomed by the family as it was by me. Gotcha.
0: What was that, what was that at least early fun employment season like for you and your family as you were kind of like, did you make the jump with a clear plan um, or were, were you kind of having to wrestle with that, that reinvention?
1: Well, I took a sabbatical, so it was definitely, um, not a, a plan. Um, I, yeah, I, what i didn 't mention was the you say eight months before this happened, um, I had started looking around for for jobs and had plenty of you know friends in high places and yeah, hey we 'd love to have you andy but when you move into Dallas, when you move into Silicon Valley, and uh, whether that was their excuse to keep Andy out of their business or not, probably <laughs> I, I hope to think it's not that. But you know, I had gone through the Mongo's and the you know uh, the the puppets and the Pivotals and the, all the software companies that I knew people in, and and started realizing that you know this wasn't going to be an easy thing to do. If I was going to be in Richmond, uh, it was going to be different. And uh, and and Richmond is most people know that are from Richmond. It's not the easiest market to be from, to work within, unless you spend a lot of time working in it. And I hadn't. That's part of why I wanted to do this. I hadn't really done anything except for, you know, neighborhood things for many, many years and don't want to, you know, be a stranger in my own hometown.
0: So what does is, what is different look like?
1: Well, different was, was big because I first started... <laughs> I started uh, looking at... Um, I said, you know, I'm going to solve big problems. I've got a big brain. I'm going to solve big problems. And uh, so I set out looking at what are the biggest problems, and I came across a a very, very honest and thoughtful thing, and that was mass nutrition. And this idea, everything from protein per acre of a cow to french fries that kids eat at McDonald's, like we got to rethink mass nutrition. And and if we make it about the whole thing, then then we can solve it. And so I, I started to, I spent, I think, a good two weeks in my early part of this process just diving in. I actually wrote a blog about protein per acre and how, you know, the difference between cows and, and crickets and how, you know, density of protein right. and so forth. And, um, and, I, and I spent a couple more weeks looking at other topics and looked across this value chain of mass nutrition. And I said, you know what? You're too old. You can't fire this arrow. You don't, you, you are, you can't be this arrow. You can't, um, um you know and and for the audience here you know i was 48 when these when i started looking to change at the company and and i feel like there is a bit of an age discrimination that goes on out there and i'm looking and and i discriminate discriminate against myself and say, you know, you have 20 years or less that you're going to be doing something. You're not going to solve mass nutrition in 20 years. Maybe that's too big of a job. And I realized part of what was valuable about me was this ability to organize people and and kind of go after things and and have the structural skill set and the execution skill set. And so I realized I was the bow of the arrow, not the arrow. Hmm. And so maybe the right answer was that I figured out how to be a be a bow, or help people build their bows for arrows. So I, I started looking at kind of changing this idea of me solving a big problem to, you know, how do I enable big solve problems to be solved? And so that was a transformational uh, mentality or, or thought process that I went through at the early steps.
0: So how do you how do you feed a family on building bows?
1: <laughs> well, uh, you know, the luxury of of you know. Killing yourself for twenty years is, you know, you you do put some money in the bank, but that there's a lot of risk associated with, you know, do you have enough? And so we've been part of my last few years have been self funded, and and Mm -hmm. and you know we're we're managing that. Um, I think we're okay, but heck, I could have. This is one of my big risks. This is my, you know, did I did I manage that right? Am I taking the right chunks of? Of funding and time, and applying those to things that will actually cover me when I'm 80, and you know can't work or earn gainful employment, right? And so, um, but that's that's what we're doing primarily. My wife started back not because of this, but uh, the kids had gone to college, and she decided to go back and become a teacher uh, in middle school to help, uh, especially young girls. Uh, Kind of get into the STEM programs and things like that, and and as you know, teachers don't make very much money. So um, I went from being a person that never thought about a dime; we didn't we didn't spend extravagantly, but I never thought about a dime to a person that has to think about you know money more than I used to, and I realized that was part of the balance.
0: Um. So are there are there any arrows that you're really excited about right now?
1: Yeah, I, you know I. I, I'm I'm a little too gung ho about everything. Like if if you come and tell me about something, I get excited about it, and so I have to manage myself down the 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 things that are that turn are turning out to be what really are going to matter for me, and and the places where I'm going to make the most impact, I believe, is this this idea of how humans and technology evolve together. Um, you know the old the the idea that you know a rising tide raises all ships. Well that's the way technology should work. You know, if, as, as kids, we thought about, hey, you know, there's going to be technology, we have robots, it's going to be like the Jetsons, we're not going to have to work as much, we'll have... But the reality is now we're fighting for that. And uh, we're fighting for those that work and the autonomization of, of jobs isn't turning into equity to the average individuals, it's going to corporations into to individuals that own the capital in those corporations. And, and so how do we balance this evolution, you know, I, I used to think, I, I knew that I was going to be a younger, a smaller generation, and I would, you know, they'd want me for multiple jobs when I got about this age, but what I didn't realize is they were going to want me to do five jobs for, for less money, and and that's sort of what the millennials are experiencing, and the, and the Gen Z kids are, are starting to see that, you know, what you think is the way society should work doesn't always turn out that way, and a lot of that has to do with the way we have deployed capitalism today, and I that's probably too big a topic, but um you know I think it's very important as to your question how do we stay on top of um, or wh- where am i going to what arrows are I going to work on what bows I'm going to work with It's around um, making sure that as technology deploys it's it, it it's it's a betterment of humanity not not the lesser of it so
0: so back to my original question so are, are is there anything specific that um you know, that's sticking out to your mind, uh, out in your mind that, you know, is really like if you were to kind of look back at, at, at the jump that you've made, um, you know, an empty bow is, is kind of nothing. An un, unshot arrow is, is nothing. Um, so are you seeing kind of these, these hopeful partnerships, um, that are really starting to, to kind of come together in, in that, magical way?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I I have Created a kind of a a range or, or of of things that I'm doing. One is I'm mentoring with startup Virginia, so I'm down in the bottom helping startups. And as you know, we've we've in, we've engaged on a few startups ourselves together. Uh, I'm I'm taking advisory roles and 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 taking kind of flexible compensation, whether that be you know equity positions or or fractional pay. Uh, you know, I'm helping uh, first as a mentor and then in a equity position, and then I'm also doing fractional services, which gets into you know. Uh, you know s- snippets of pay as as needed to uh, further uh, what I think you're getting me to. Uh, I'll, I'll hit next, which is this idea of machine learning and and uh, and the spa- time I'm spending in that space. But then finally, I'm currently a you know chief technical officer at more Stories, uh, where we're building out using machine learning and human study to kind of help brands understand the people they they care about, and um, so. That's part of the bow and arrow is, you know, when I think about helping structure and and bring wisdom to the table, it's helping startups at multiple layers. And the idea is if I can get myself engaged with, say, 10 of those companies and they're progressing, hopefully one or two of those 10 will, you know, have some moderate to great success and I'll I'll be well uh, rewarded for my efforts. Um, And of course, I'm taking a, a deep stake in one with Share More Stories to, you know, really build that business out.
0: Um, so last question before we wrapped up. So, um, you know, you, you decided to stay here in Richmond and, and you're, uh, you're a guy of big visions, um, you know, working on capitalism or food density. Um, what, what are some of the, the things, uh, that you see or hope for here, um, now that you've chosen to stay here and not, um, Kind of participate in the mass exodus to the
1: West Coast. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think it's such an amazing place. We were in Raleigh for fifteen years, and we watched. We were living in actually Cary, a suburb, and we watched Cary go from I believe it was thirty thousand to ninety thousand people in like three years. And uh, you couldn't buy tires. You couldn't find a. You couldn't get in the grocery store. And you, we've seen the growth around here, so I, I do worry a little bit about growth. But we came up to Richmond, and. I just loved it. I love the historic uh, stock, you know, the housing stock, the whimsy. This place has always had a little bit of whimsy. It has a has a deep, painful history, but it also has a sense of whimsy throughout it. And and I do believe there's a there's a cathartic desire to redeem itself. You know, this the city just has a, an interesting desire for redemption, and uh, at the same time, it's got a wonderful creative spirit and and a community. It's got a really strong marketing graphics uh, marketing uh, group. Uh, you know, the, the college the VCU has done a lot here. Of course, it's not just VCU, it's U, U of R and so forth. So we, we love the area. We love everything about it. Um, and so what I see is really exciting is it, being in multiple places, spending so much time in Boston and in in Raleigh while it was growing and in, in Silicon Valley and, and in Dallas where there's a lot of business in Chicago and so forth, you know, there's something special here, and I'm not saying there's not something slightly special in other places. But what's happening here? It could be a very exciting future, and uh, I love the thoughtfulness that we're applying to that. Um, you know, it, this place has a natural "let's do this right" perspective, and and so we're we're just really excited to watch what happens. And gosh, you know, frankly, I just hope I'm around. You know, I'm 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 over 50 now, so I hope I'm around for 30 years to really just love to see what happens here
0: yeah we are too that, yeah that's we're, all why that, we're here right? the bus is coming for all of us right yeah well andy thanks for being here man i yeah, no really problem. appreciate hearing your story um so yeah we look forward to hearing more soon absolutely thanks guys thanks again for listening to this episode of the builder podcast If you like what you heard, have someone or something you'd like to hear us talk about, or just want to continue the conversation, leave us a comment on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasting fix.
1: And if you have your own product or startup idea and want to know how Builder can help, please check us out on our site, startwithbldr.com, and drop us a line. Until the next one, keep building.